Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and I hope you're doing well wherever you are. Um, we've been talking about module systems in the podcast here recently, and you know, still uh, definitely an exciting topic to me. I think, uh, you know, I'd partly, as I said before, one of the reasons I wanted to dive into this a little more is in my experience implementing languages, and I've implemented a good number. Um, Name spit, name resolution, and stuff like that is one of the most basic things you have to deal with in getting your implementation set up, and it's a really fundamental decision that impacts your, you know, the structure of your abstract syntax trees, and um, and it's it's tricky with dependent types, and um, there's a lot of tricky things about it, and so uh, you know because it deal, you know, you kind of have local variables to deal with, global variables, name resolution um, to perform. And so, anyway, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to think about about how to do that in a really nice and good way. So, um, I am now, despite uh, horribly failing to follow through on a couple of um, really nice leads from some listeners, thank you again for that, and maybe I'll manage, uh, uh, you know, sorry that I didn't get to those, but people had some good ideas of other module systems to look at. I'd still like to look at Modula 3 or some of these um, older languages. But um, I also I wanted to talk about something else a little bit that's kind of popped onto my radar. And uh, it's related, kind of related. It's, I mean, the word module is part of the, the name of the topic. But it's, uh, it's about something called modular data types. Uh, and this, as far as I know got, if not its, its start, at least its jump start, in a super great paper by Wouter Swierstra, um, a researcher I had the pleasure to meet. Gosh, it's been a long time now. Um, very nice guy. And this is just an awesome gem of a paper. And it's called Data Types a la Carte. Okay, and I'll put a link in the show notes to this paper. It's totally accessible. Um, you can read it without a PhD in abstract nonsense. Uh, although it does use some basic ideas from category theory, but without, you know, assuming a lot of background on that at all. And the basic question that Swierstra is trying to address in this paper is something known as the expression problem. It was identified by Phil Wadler um, as a problem, uh, which is that we have this sort of question, you know, like if you if you're programming with um, data types in Haskell or another functional language, um, it's really easy to add new functions over a data type, right? Like say you had a function that, that prints, like say you have a data type representing, I don't know, HTML documents or something, and you have a function that prints those in text or something. Okay, you know, it prints those to a string. Great. And say you want to write another function that, I don't know, prints them in a different, somewhat different format or does something different with them um, or say, you know, whatever it's supposed to do. Um, it's a, it's a linter. It's going to go through and find some semantic weirdnesses in your HTML, whatever. You just write another function. It's fine. It, you, writing a new function, like it doesn't affect the old functions that you wrote at all. But suppose you want to add something. Suppose that in my <laughs> off the cuff, Example here, suppose that, you know, whatever working group or, or standards body is, add some new construct to HTML and you decide you want to support it in your tool, then um, you have to add that to the data type, but you also have to go through and, well, at least at the peril of having your code 
um, raise exceptions for not covering cases, you have to go through all the functions you already wrote and add a case for what to do with this new form of HTML construct. Um, and so the expression problem is this, this problem that it's kind of... Um, I, so I have to go, I mean, I, certainly we understand you're going to have to make some, if you want to support the new construct, you know, there's no help, you're going to have to go uh, implement support for it. But what's annoying is that you have to go and change all this code that you already wrote by adding new cases to it. I mean, at the very least, you're going to have to then recompile it. Um, I don't think that's really, I don't see that as a huge problem. I guess that maybe was considered an issue in the past. Uh, but um, it's just, it's sort of a pity that you're forced to go in and modify your existing code. And so the question is, um, I mean, that, that's, I think, sort of one of the original motivations for this expression problem. But uh, I think a little more compelling case, which is what Swierstra talks about in his paper, is that um, you might want to, actually, I'm not sure he explicitly mentions this idea. But it's, I feel like it's implicit there, but it's, it just leaps out to, I mean, to inform the reader, I suppose, that uh, you know, you'd like to assemble sort of building blocks, especially kind of from a language perspective. Like if you're a language designer or implementer, um, it'd be sort of nice to have a library of different kind of language features. Like, oh, I want higher order functions. Okay, I want to use this bit of code. And oh, I decided I wanted some imperative state. I need to use that bit of code. And, you know, or I'm going to have Booleans in my language. I'm going to have arithmetic on integers and I have something else that's going to have floating point arithmetic. So like I have all these little pieces of a language. I mean, you could say like, if you just look at the syntax for language, like look at its context-free grammar, right? And it's broken up into a bunch of sub-syntaxes. Those are like little sub-languages. And, you know, the grammar formalism, well, <laughs> actually it doesn't do terribly well at letting you modularly assemble these pieces of grammar, Okay, so that, I know there are researchers who've tried to improve that state of affairs, um, but still, I, to my knowledge, in, in, you know, at least mainstream tools for grammar stuff, you just have one big grammar file. I guess maybe you can do includes, I don't know, but like, anyway, you know, so there's a modularity, there's some kind of modularity that you sort of think you would find it from your, the grammar itself. I mean, the grammar itself is kind of modular, right? I've got this syntax for this, syntax for that in different, you know, chunks in the file. And, but it'd be nice to have sort of modular semantics where I could say I'm, like, just taking a simple example, like I'm writing an uh, interpreter for programming language and I have, what would be really nice is if I have a little library and, you know, Swears to use the analogy of, that's why I call this paper data types a la carte. Okay, so there you go. He did, he was absolutely thinking of this. Um, that you can kind of collect uh, you know, you sort of decide, you sort of pick this, pick that, pick that, and we'd like to put them together. Like we'd say, oh, I want higher order functions and booleans and imperative state and floating point arithmetic, but no integer arithmetic for some reason. So I want to assemble a language by sort of picking these items um, individually, and I'd like somehow to just be able to glue their implementations together in kind of a nice way where I don't have to go off and kind of re-implement a bunch of stuff or copy a bunch of things into a new file that, you know, I'd like to just sort of be able to reference these different pieces of code. And, you know, maybe it sounds like that should be pretty easy and maybe that would should be easy in some other languages, but with induct, you know, with 
data types in a functional language, you just write your data type in one place. So it's not very easy to see how you can kind of modularly assemble the data type for the syntax trees um, for a combined language from the data type for the syntax trees for the pieces of the language. So um, anyway, so uh, Swirstra has an approach that lets you do this, which is pretty cool. Um, and I find that having introduced the problem, I've actually got arrived back home from where I was out and about for a little bitty bit. And so I sadly, I'm going to have to leave you with the problem. And we will talk a little bit about Swirstra's solution to it in the next episode. So thanks for listening. Shoot me an email if you want to introduce yourself or say hi. And uh, I hope you're well wherever you are and talk to you the next time.